0: Today's scripture reading is Matthew 6, verses 7 through 10. Please stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we're uh, making our way through Jonah, and uh, we've been pausing the last few weeks to consider what may have characterized Jonah as he made his way to Nineveh after being rescued by God uh, through the great fish. I say may because when you get to the end of Jonah, look at chapter 4, it's hard to tell. If uh, he was really, you know, in a right frame of mind, he definitely went. But the question of whether he went with God's heart for the people of Nineveh is a pretty open question. Uh, So what may have characterized Jonah, but what must characterize us as we seek to move from reluctance to faithfulness when it comes to our witness? Two sermons ago, we looked at Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2. We looked at verses 7 through 9 in particular and saw there that what's needed, first and foremost, is love. We need to be people who love people, all people, out of love for God that is itself the result of our growing understanding of what it means to have been loved by God in Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Psalm 27, which was a psalm of David. It's a psalm that Jonah probably had memorized. He probably knew it. A psalm that, like David, encourages us to be seeking one thing above all things, and that is life in the presence of God. To walk our lives out to the rhythm of Psalm 27. To make it our ambition to be in God's presence in order to better experience his love for us in Christ, that our love for him and that our love for other people might continue to grow. Next week, we're gonna talk about proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the kingdom of God. John the Baptist and Jesus both came proclaiming the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so next week, we're gonna look at our need to proclaim the kingdom. But this week, the focus is on prayer, prayer, if we're going to move from reluctance to faithfulness and our witness, then we must be a people who pray as Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Why? Well, to pray for the kingdom to come is to pray for the salvation of lost people that you know. And it's also to pray for the advance of the gospel. The advance of the gospel throughout the world, but also the advance of the gospel in the church, and the advance of the gospel in you. Why don't we pray that way? Why don't we pray thy kingdom come consistently and fervently? One reason may be that we don't have a vision for God's kingdom. It's hard to get our heads around that. We can't envision what it is. We can't envision how it applies to our lives right now and what it will mean One day for the kingdom to come in its fullness. And so we say thy kingdom come, but maybe we don't really have a vision for what that means, the vision that the Bible gives us for God's kingdom. Or it may be that we're far more interested in our own individual kingdoms than we are in the kingdom of God. We may say thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but the way we're living looks a lot more like my kingdom come, my will be done, these first few petitions help us get to the answer of a couple questions that we need to ask. The first of which is, what does it mean to pray, thy kingdom come? Prayer is absolutely essential if we're gonna move from reluctance to faithfulness as witnesses. And so to do that, we need to ask ourselves that question, what does it mean to pray, thy kingdom come? And then second How do we become people who pray that prayer consistently and fervently? And these first few petitions, you know, there's six petitions to the Lord's Prayer. We're only looking at three of them, and actually we're kind of binding together two and three. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But these first few petitions really help us answer those two questions. What we get from them is not only a fuller understanding of what it means to pray for the salvation of lost people, but also a deeper understanding of what will compel us to do so. So two questions we're going to ask this morning. These are our first, these are our two points. First, what does it mean to pray thy kingdom come? When we pray that way, do we even know what we're praying? What does it mean to pray thy kingdom come? And second, how do we become people who pray that prayer fervently and consistently? But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us as we look at this portion of of the prayer that your son gave us. We pray that you would help us to understand it. We pray that you would take the truth that is revealed in in this prayer and all that it offers us in terms of our praying. And would you seal these truths to our hearts? And would would you by your spirit help us to be people who pray thy kingdom come consistently, fervently, hopefully, anticipating the day when it does come in full? And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So what does it mean to pray thy kingdom come? And and first, we're going to ask the question, what is the kingdom? And let me just say, you know, we're looking at two questions. What does it mean to pray thy kingdom come? And how do we be the kind of people who pray that prayer consistently, fervently, hopefully? We're going to spend most of our time on that first question. So when I finally get done with the first point, and you're like, oh my gosh, we still have a second point to go, relax. Relax. Most of the time is going to be the first point, and then we'll spend a little bit of time in the second point. So, first point, what does it mean to pray thy kingdom come? And to get at the answer to that, we need to first ask the question, what's the kingdom of God anyway? Right? What is the kingdom of God? The Bible gives us four ways to think about the kingdom. And the first way that I want to mention is not so much the way, but a way to think about the kingdom of God in our present experience. All right? And it's, it's this we can think of the kingdom of God as the revelation of God's rule in the realm of space and time. The revelation of God's rule in the realm of space and time is a way to think about the kingdom of God right now in this time in which we live between the first coming of Jesus Christ and his return. The revelation of God's rule in the realm of space and time. Now, God is always ruling over all things, seen and unseen. There has never been a moment in which God has not been ruler over all. He is not seen to be ruler over all by many, including us, consistently in our lives right now in the realm of space and time. It's analogous to the way in which the Old Testament talks about the fact that God's glory is presently over all the earth. But as Habakkuk says in chapter two, one day the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. There's not a a square inch of the universe, if you will, in which God's glory, over which God's glory doesn't dwell. But the knowledge of his glory is incomplete. Well, in the same way, there's not a square inch, if you will, of the universe over which God doesn't presently rule. But the revelation of his rule in the realm of space and time is incomplete. And so a way to think about the kingdom of God now in our present experience is as the revelation of his rule in the realm of space and time. Jesus teaches us to pray, thy will be done In this text and in asking us to pray commanding us to pray that way what he is praying and asking us to pray is that the glory and the goodness of the rule of God will be seen as God's will is being done on earth right the doing of God's will is a good thing. There's nothing better for humanity, there's nothing better for the world than for God's will to be done. To pray that God's will be done is to have at the same time, in the doing of his will, a manifestation of his rule, and there's nothing that will be better for the, <laughs> the human heart than to see God's rule being manifest. God is ruler over So one way we can think about the kingdom of God in this present age is as the revelation of his rule in the realm of space and time. That's the first thing to think about when it comes to the kingdom of God. The second thing is, who's the king? Jesus is the king jesus is the second person of the trinity as paul says in colossians chapter 1 all things were created through him and for him that in everything he might be preeminent his self-understanding in his earthly ministry his his miracles his teaching all attested to his kingship we're saying earlier about the fact that he set aside his crown He didn't set aside his crown in the sense of he stopped being king. He set aside his crown in the sense that he no longer clinged to his prerogatives as king. Instead, he became man and humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross that we might be rescued from our sin. He entered Jerusalem at the triumphal entry as a king on a donkey, signifying that he was bringing peace and not war. He did that in fulfillment of Scripture. The peace that he brought was peace with God for all who believed in him. He came not to overthrow an earthly government because his kingdom is not of this world. He came to conquer sin and death, and even now he reigns from the right hand of the Father. Jesus is king. The third thing is his kingdom is here in part, but not in full. His kingdom is here in part, but not in full. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom. You could say that his resurrection was his coronation in the sense that his resurrection vindicated every claim that he had ever made about his person and his work. So with Jesus, the kingdom has broken in. But it's not yet fully manifest. It's here in part, but it's not here in full. The kingdom has been inaugurated, but it's not been consummated. Things are not yet as they will one day be. And so Jesus instructs his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come. The job of the church, fourth, when it comes to the way we think about the kingdom, The job of the church is to make this invisible kingdom of God visible. Our calling, our job as Christians, the things that we're called to do on this earth is to make this invisible kingdom of God visible. We do that through the quality of our lives together, the way in which we love one another and serve one another, Jesus said, is an attestation to his sonship. It gives a picture to the world of the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the quality of our life together. Our testimony in the midst often of suffering and hardship concerning the goodness and the glory and the majesty of God and the grace that is found in Jesus Christ by these things the church makes the invisible kingdom of God visible we make the invisible kingdom of God visible through our work of renewal in the world wherever injustice is being fought wherever oppression is being destroyed wherever mercy is being shown wherever relationships are being restored the kingdom of God is on display in these ways the church is the light of the world, as Jesus commanded. In these ways, the church is the salt of the earth, as Jesus called us to be. So the kingdom of God, ways in which we can begin, I hope, to just get a little vision. So the kingdom of God now in our present experience is the revelation of God's rule in the realm of space and time. Jesus is the king. It's here in part, but not yet in full. And our calling as a church is to make this invisible kingdom of God visible through our testimony, often in the face of hardship, through the quality of our lives together, and through our work of renewal in the world. So what does it mean to pray, then, thy kingdom come? And again, my, my point here is if we can, if we get what Jesus is calling us to do, we realize that this is an invitation to pray more than just, oh God, would you please save my lost family member or my lost friend or my lost, you know, co-worker or whatever the case may be. It's, it's, it's not less than that, but it's so much more than that. To pray thy kingdom come is to pray for something higher and greater even than the idea of a soul being Saved. So, what does it mean to pray thy kingdom come? Well, I think first it's a prayer that the rule of God would be more manifest in our lives, in my life, in your life as an individual. It's praying for the coming of the kingdom increasingly in our hearts, in those areas where we struggle with sin. And in those areas where we simply struggle to obey in the face of hardship and suffering. So to pray for the kingdom of God to come is to pray for it to come in us, increasingly in our lives as we struggle against sin that clings so closely. Where do you long to see change in your life? I mean, you don't, just think about that for a second. Where do you long to see change in your life? And is your deep desire when it comes to that area of your life to, to simply be you know, a little bit better in your behavior or to see the you that God is renewing for all eternity in his kingdom to be increasingly revealed? To pray thy kingdom come in the face of your own sin is not a prayer for moral reformation. It's a prayer for kingdom transformation. That God would work in you even now that finished work that will characterize who you are when you are fully and finally revealed in the image of Jesus Christ. So pray for the, king, the kingdom to come in your life in those areas where you struggle with, with your own personal sin, but, but where it's not so much your personal sin, but the reality of living, living life in a fallen and broken world when you suffer, when you face hardship. Pray that the kingdom would come as you respond in those ways. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where thy will is being done, a picture of the goodness and the glory of God is on display to everyone around you. So when you suffer, when you face hardship, when you face opposition, pray thy kingdom come so that as you do God's will, even in the midst of that situation, an image, a picture, a foretaste of the kingdom of God is on display. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, gives a great little example of of what I'm saying here. Um, If you've read The Screwtape Letters, you know that The Screwtape Letters is a fictional uh, series of letters between a senior devil named Screwtape to his protege, Wormwood. So when you read enemy in The Screwtape Letters, that enemy is referring to God, right? So Lewis in The Screwtape Letters writes this. Be not deceived, Wormwood, Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Right? In the face of hardship, in the face of suffering, in the face of opposition, When you look around and say, where is this kingdom of God? Where is this king? And you ask, why, oh God, have you forsaken me? And still obey a glorious picture in the seen and the unseen realm of what it means for the kingdom of God to be coming is on display so we pray that way, and we pray for the kingdom to come in our lives as individuals, but we pray for the kingdom to come in our life together as a church, this church and the church, universal, throughout the world, to pray that the church will be faithful in making this invisible kingdom visible through, the, through our testimony in the face of hardship, through the quality of our lives together, through our work of renewal in the world. Be praying that way for the kingdom to come as it's made manifest in the life of the church. It's also praying that what characterizes the kingdom of God will come to pass. Do we long for the day? Do we really long for the day in which all that is broken is healed, in which all that is crooked is made straight, in which all that is evil is finally done away with, when sickness, sorrow, and sin no longer exist? And then fourth, praying thy will be done, or praying praying thy kingdom come means praying that people will submit to Christ's rule. Because there is nothing better. There is nothing better for a person created in God's image, created to worship him, now twisted and distorted by sin and thinking that life is best found apart from God to actually be rescued and redeemed and brought into the realm of the glorious kingship of Jesus and now made a participant in and a member of the kingdom of God that is here in part now and hungering for and anticipating that day when King Jesus returns and all things are been, been made new. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying that for people who don't yet know Jesus. We are praying nothing less than that they will know the joy in the fullness of hope that is found with Jesus as king, anticipating his return, longing for that day in which we know the fullness of what it means to be his people on his redeemed earth. Thy kingdom come. Jesus calls us to pray this way. He calls us to pray this way, and the early church gives us an example of giving them, they they gave themselves over to this kind of praying. If you look at the church in Acts between the ascension of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, you see a church that is given over to prayer. When you look at the history of revivals throughout the history of the church, they have always been preceded by the church praying, thy kingdom come, type of prayers, fervently, consistently, hopefully, with the desire that God's name be glorified in whatever happens on earth. And it's time for us to be corporately praying that way. Many of you are individually or as families praying, thy kingdom come, kingdom-centered prayers. But as a body, we're going to begin praying that way consistently and by God's grace fervently and by God's grace, hopefully. So you, you have in your bulletin, and one of the announcements in the bulletin is that we're gonna begin a monthly time of prayer. Just kingdom-centered prayer. It's not gonna be time of coming and sharing personal prayer requests about different things that are going on in our lives or, or sickness or whatever it may be. That's, there's a place for that. We ought to be praying that way. This time together, though, is simply gonna be focused on thy kingdom come type of praying. Prayer for the advance of the gospel. Prayer for the kingdom to come. Prayer for the lost to be found. Anticipating that day when every lost sheep has finally been rescued by Jesus and praying to that end. All right. Second question that we need to answer. What will compel us to pray that way, to pray thy kingdom come consistently, and fervently what will compel us to pray what will make us those kinds of people and the answer is actually found in the first two petitions our father in heaven hallowed be thy name as we understand what we're praying there as the petitions the truth behind those petitions become more and more real in our lives we actually become the kind of people who pray thy kingdom come consistently fervently Hopefully. So let's look at those two petitions here in closing. First, our Father in heaven. (sighs) At one level, it ought to be that our Father just flows off of our lips. What a great privilege it is to be able to come before the holy and living God and pray, our Father. And so there ought not to be this sense of trepidation, like, should I address him as Father? We ought to be able to freely come into his presence and say, our Father, oh, Father. And yet, with that, we ought never to lose sight of the great privilege it is to know God as Father, Martin Luther put it in a way that I think is helpful that, may, that maybe we don't think about. Luther says this, in giving us these words, our father, God binds himself to us. Right? If you're a father, you can't, un, you, know, you can't stop being the father to your children. You will forever be the father to your children. Whether you own them as your own or not, you are your children's parent. And Luther is saying, listen, God binds himself to you. In inviting you to call him Father, he is binding himself to you. You've been adopted into his family. You've been given the royal rights and privileges of his son, Jesus Christ, because you are now by faith in him. It's a tremendous blessing. Father. As we know him as father, we come to know something of the goodness and the beauty and the safety and the loving kindness of the best father. He's our father in heaven, which points to his his majesty and his power and his control, how important that is when we feel weak and helpless and alone. So we pray our Father, but are we still relating to God as orphans or as children? Martin Lloyd-Jones put it well in a couple different places. I'm going to read two quotes from him concerning this petition, our Father in heaven. Never separate these two truths, Lloyd-Jones says. Remember that you are approaching the almighty, eternal, ever-blessed, holy God, But remember also that God in Christ has become your father, who not only knows all about you in the sense that he is omniscient, he knows all about you in the sense that a father knows all about his child. You are known that way. You are known that way and loved by a holy and perfect God. And then Lloyd-Jones says, As your father in heaven, he is much more anxious to bless you than you are to be blessed. (laughs) Our Father in heaven, do you know God as your Father? Do you really know Him as your Father? And then second, hallowed be thy name. To hallow means to sanctify. It's not only to set apart as holy, it's to revere. It's to love. It is to Cherish, it is to highly esteem, it is to see as unequalled. His name. His name is just shorthand for all of his attributes, for all that God is, all that he has revealed himself to us to be, to us to be in Scripture. All that he is, all that he has ever done. This is all what is captured by that idea of his name. Hallowed cherished set apart magnified highly esteemed loved be your name all your attributes all you are all that you have revealed yourself to be so jesus is teaching us to pray that the world would know god in that way hallowed be thy name O god means may the whole world know you in this way may the whole world honor you highly esteem you, magnify you, glorify you, cherish you, love you. And so the question is, do you know God in that way? See, as Christians, we ought to be praying. Our prayer for the world, our prayer for lost people ought to be, oh God, may they know you like I know you. And as we become people who know God, as God would have us be known, we become people who pray thy kingdom come consistently, fervently, hopefully, because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have an experience now in part, just a little glimpse behind the veil of what it means to be people living in the kingdom of God, anticipating its fullness when Jesus Christ returns. And out of that, we can't not pray, God, increase your glory by bringing lost people into this realm in which your rule is seen for what it is. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the call of the church to pray that the gospel might go forth to the nations. I'm going to end with this quote from John Piper in his little book, Let the Nations Be Glad. If you don't have it, I highly commend it to you. Piper writes this, Now we can say again safely and stunningly what the awesome place of prayer is in the purpose of God to fill the earth with his glory. Not only has God made the accomplishment of his purposes hang on the preaching of the word, But he has also made the success of that preaching hang on prayer. God's goal to be glorified will not succeed without the powerful proclamation of the gospel. And that gospel will not be proclaimed in power to all the nations without the prevailing, earnest, faith-filled prayers of God's people. That's not God's people in some other church where they take prayer seriously. That's God's people right here. May we be a kingdom-centered, praying people, anticipating the day when King Jesus comes home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to be people of prayer. We acknowledge our weakness. We thank you for giving us this pattern, these petitions that are themselves a launching pad into deeper and broader praying, and oh God, would you help us to be people who take, these, who take this opportunity to heart and give ourselves over to praying, thy kingdom come. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.